0: Right. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to the second episode of our uh, first series, Wintering. Really, really excited about this one. And to bring on our first guest of the series, um, who has been to the World Athletics Championships two times as a pole vaulter in 2009 and 2007, uh, the Olympics in 2008, European Championships 2006, 2009, 2010. She also won uh, bronze in the Commonwealth in 2010 as, as well. First junior vaulter to first female junior vaulter to go over four meters. Uh, and in 2009, uh, you broke the British record nine times, both indoor. That was a good, year. Good, good year, good year, good year. Six in the World Championships in Berlin that year. Uh, really excited to bring on Kate. Uh, Rooney, former Denison, to the podcast and, and, and now she coaches in Loughborough. How many athletes do you have now?
1: I don't like to count. You
0: don't like to count. <laughs> several no. several athletes. Yeah.
1: Several athletes. It scares me if I have to count them now. I think I've got... A, uh, 12 let's call it 12 oh. <laughs> some some are some come in from other areas and train and some are full-time in Loughborough so yeah
0: yeah well you said before we jumped on you <laughs> like being busy so I guess 12 athletes yeah. will do that for you
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but we really appreciate you coming on. This is this is really exciting. That's the longest intro that I've ever had to do. So we're we're, we're we've made it, Matt. We've made. I know. It. I know. I'll... You just
2: put me down memory. Yeah, length. our intros would just be a sentence long, David. We're not that um, interesting, are we? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: it was a nice little walk down memory lane there. It was good.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of memory lane, uh, we can't breeze yep. over the fact that you've been to the Olympics and with world championship Olympics must come with some unbelievable memories. Um, what's one that stands out to you in the Olympics? Just going there, experiencing the whole thing, like is it just the competition? <laughs> like what's one that, that just stands out to you?
1: Um, for us, having London as the home games was obviously it it was a bit of a stressful lead up to the Olympics to make the team They made it quite hard. But obviously making the team and obviously warming up and like just putting on a British vest in front of 80,000 people. Like, all I wanted to do that day was clear a bar. I only managed to clear one bar. But if you cleared a bar, you had 80,000 people raw when you did it. And I had that feeling. It was phenomenal. No one can ever take it away from me. That particular Olympics didn't end so well. But, um, yeah, I think still having that memory of actually clearing that opening height and just having, like, everybody behind you was an amazing, amazing feeling. Um, But I think, like, behind every Olympics or behind every championships, you've always got your own goals. And obviously that then quite often trumps any feelings that you have on the day yeah. if it doesn't go your way mm. so yeah
0: did you did you get to experience the opening ceremonies and and
1: no unfortunately not like they they kept us they kept us away from it all so we were in portugal at the time on like um our uh, holding camp um, they kind of let us watch it on a big screen and they made us put all our um, opening ceremony <laughs> outfits on <laughs> while we just kind of tried to soak in the moment. But at the same time, I think because athletics is always in the second week, like quite often you get this huge buzz buzz from the opening ceremony and they, they didn't want us to have the buzz and then come down, mm. if you know what I mean, and then have to build up again. So I think that was the theory behind it. Um, so no, I didn't get to... Same in Beijing, they did the same. They kept us in the holding camp in Macau. Um so yeah, unfortunately, didn't didn't ever. Get if you to do had that. the
2: opportunity to change it, would you have wanted to be at that opening ceremony?
1: Oh, it's a, good um, this is a very good question. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they make they make better tv spectacles than they probably are there there's a lot of for the athletes that's waiting to go on if you know what i mean and all they do is they keep you and waiting to go on um for quite a long time the same way we've done it in the closing ceremony and like london closing ceremony was pretty pretty epic um so i i don't know i don't know if i Could fully have... feel like i've missed out i kind of yeah you always wanted to walk in on that with that posh yeah. suit and wave that's everybody. when um <laughs> that when the queen jumped out but, um
2: well obviously not the queen but like you know yeah. the little <laughs> stunt double. Yeah,
1: the,
2: the stunt double. That would been awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, I did that that a good job. Was I definitely was proud to be British. Yeah.
0: I didn't see that. I, would they? Would they get a stunt double that's like also the Queen's age? So it's like just it. Like like also it. elderly. <laughs> elderly women yeah definitely who's not, not just not afraid to do that uh, <laughs> no
1: nah, she was like 80 something it was Rowan Atkinson <laughs> as well wasn't it
2: he was there just um, wasn't he with the little piano yep. yeah that was one of the best ceremonies I've ever seen to be fair
1: yeah it was pretty good it was it, it was very very impressive oh, to watch ch- from ch- a big screen ch- in Portugal Portugal's
2: not too bad of a place to be though <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> worse places you can watch it
1: <laughs> no we got treated we got treated well I'm not gonna lie <laughs>
0: Um, so I guess I will continue this treat this uh, theme of memory lane, just poval is, is such a rogue event. So, <laughs> and and just how did you get into it? Like, just run us through your career just very, very quickly. How'd you get into it? When did you know that, like, actually, I've got a, I've got a chance here to do something special? Um, yeah.
1: yeah fortunately my story is pretty standard I was a failed gymnast (laughs) Um, and quite often um, you know I I got to a decent level in gymnastics like national level just always had that goal of going to Olympics as a kid watching the Olympics as a kid my background was watching the gymnastics rather than athletics but very sporty family Um, and then yeah just kind of went down to the local athletics track fancied myself as a sprinter and realized I wasn't quick enough for that either (laughs) So then um, somebody said, oh, you did gymnastics. Why don't you try pole vault? Um, and there was uh, another lad, Steve Lewis, who actually went on to be a fantastic pole vaulter as well. So um, he was from the same gymnastics club and also probably too tall and failed gymnast as well. So both of us ended up in the same pole vault group. He was a couple of years younger than me. but um, uh, And I think it's one of those strange things. I think as a gymnast, I was working my butt off training three hours a day after school Um And like six days a week making sort of maybe top five nationally, which was good. But I don't think I was ever going to take it on to the next step and get into the internationals, get an international um, cap, I suppose, at that stage. Um, And then like in athletics, um, you know, doing pole vault, I think it was only like... um, like an England representative schools level I think they call it SIAB now but um I sort of did that within a year and I took to pole vault quite quickly like I think I started late at sort of 15 16 you know did 320 um and then 380 in my second year and then four meters in my third year so as you said like first junior to British but like within two to three years so I took to it quite easily um I I stumbled around the four meter block, if you know what I mean, and found a social life and various other obstacles along the way. But um, yeah, I think you then become addicted to success and just fell in love with the event.
0: That's really that's that's really cool. I mean, to go on your first year and do 320. I don't know if I could do 320 in 10 years. I've
1: seen you. I've seen you, David. You could do it. I've seen you doing the the bubble ball. Yeah, drills, (laughs) drills
0: I can do. (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, just get my tight hamstring and let go shoot me across the gym
1: (laughs) you'll be fine you'll be fine Uh,
0: so um yeah this first series talking about wintering and and off-season training or winter training I guess as you would say um as as an athlete did you did you enjoy
2: that time
1: Yes um I was one of those weird ones that kind of enjoyed the winter grind um my f- sort of coach I mean I don't really remember it pre going I mean I did I went to university um at, at Staffordshire and then I only moved to Loughborough at 21 so I don't think I ever experienced the winter grind before 21 like I was still training sort of two to three times a week when I was a university athlete maybe maybe three three to four but um I definitely wasn't in this kind of full-time program that you have in Loughborough that you're able to access at an 18 year old. Um, so I was 21. I think I was a little bit more ready for it. Although having said that my coach that I moved to Steve Rippon was, he was a big believer in the winter grind. And, you know, I've seen you running around doing those, those 1k reps, David, but we did that too. So like for a pole vault, I remember starting winter training with like three 1ks or something <laughs> blew my mind. And I was not, like i'm like anything over 150 150 meters is quite far for me um so yeah i kind of enjoyed the challenge of it though cuz it was out of my comfort zone um and just getting stronger as well like again i hadn't probably done much of a weight program before 21 i'd done weights but uh, learned to lift and some of the key um lifts but uh, and movement patterns but i wouldn't have said i had a full um experience of winter training before 21 um so yeah I think I did enjoy the challenge and it was just so far different from anything I'd ever done I'm not sure how relevant it was but <laughs> I did enjoy it
2: so so what um sort of w- did wintering mean to you when you first came across it was it just I'm just going to get into this sort of like I'm training in the winter or is it a time where I'm going to recuperate rehab uh, rehab any issues or is it a time where you're just going to as you said like put that grind in
1: yeah, I mean, at 21, um, I hadn't had too many, I think I'd had shin splints, but I hadn't had too many injuries or anything like that. So I think for Steve, it was turning me into an athlete. I was very raw still, like I would jumped four meters, but not from having a big physical background. And I think he, his belief was let's turn them into athletes first and then we can work more on technical and, and he don't get me wrong. He was a phenomenal technical coach. First thing he did, you know, st- I was on a longer run up on longer poles. He brought me back down into shorter run ups and shorter approach uh, poles. So he taught me how to pole vault. Um, but yeah, it was in the midst of um, some very heavy physical training, which, um, again, I feel like I got away with by being a little bit older. Um, rather than some of the youngsters that sometimes came in, they might not have been able to handle what was thrown at them. but I was also, I, I don't think I questioned very much. I kind of just did as, as I was told at that stage. I was—I didn't think I knew that much about the event, if I was honest. I wasn't one of these kids that had been doing it from like nine years old that studied it, YouTubed it, you know. I just kind of, I just wanted to be better. Um, and if I had someone that could help me do that, and Steve had, had a good record of making athletes better, so I thought he must know what he's doing.
0: Yeah, it, it's, so, it's so interesting um, because... Athletics is the first sport that that I've encountered where off like well, winter training or off season training, you do with your coach as well. Uh, coming from ice hockey background, the season would end in whenever spring or summer, and then you would do maybe you'd have your off season two weeks or whatever before you went back into training, but you wouldn't do that with your team you would do that yeah. you'd have your own snc coach and your own program and skills work and then you wouldn't go back to your team until like the well the preseason. Uh, i i'm not sure how gymnastics works but did you did you find that strange as well or did you quite like that having that off like that off off season of doing nothing and getting right back with the coach did you have yeah. a different experience where it wasn't like that before
1: yeah, gymnastics, I had no idea. We just seemed to train hard all year round and there seemed to be competitions that popped up and you did them. I didn't feel like there was ever a process. And so, yeah, coming to athletics um, where you had, like, you know, the summer season, then you'd go to winter, then you, you're lucky enough for a pole vault and uh, you'd have an indoor season as well. Um, and then you'd do a little bit more of a, a re, well, we called it spring prep, I suppose, um, which would not be go quite as deep as the off-season. Um I don't, I don't know if I really ever thought it that much at that stage again. um, Like it was obviously for us, it's a chance to make technical changes as well. Um, And so like you go on work on short runs and there's a lot more process involved that I'd ever had before. Um, And so, yeah, I, I just, kind of went along with the flow of it um it was very tiring as I said the program was huge mm. it was a very high volume program and I think with Steve he often had new ideas and new ideas would come into the program but nothing ever came out so <laughs> training just increased 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 year on year and and I like I mean I may started with him at the end of 2005 no 2005 um and uh yeah he moved on to um move up to Scotland in 2010 so I sort of had five six years with him but yeah it was it was it was quality stuff but um there was a lot so I think it was just finding that balance of not making us too tired mm. um that you could actually get what you wanted out of it but yeah I suppose it was hands-on time with your coach I mean if you're going to call it really off season I always get my guys to do a little bit of physical prep before we start our off season so that they're just a little bit ahead of mm. you know if you want to start pole vaulting straight away um you're not Raw to it, mm. if you know what I mean? Yeah, especially some people's off season is a different <laughs> different topic. As we talk yeah. about,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Matt, 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 Kate thought we were going to come in and talk about off season. Is like, where's the best? <laughs> where are the best bar spots
1: in uh, Ibiza? <laughs> that that's our off season. Oh, off season is downtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in our lingo, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So yeah, but yeah.
0: Do you think, as a coach now, because you went through being an athlete, and I was a coach, that uh, your off season or how you kind of approach, I guess, coaching as a whole, but off off season or wintering specifically, uh, was was influenced by your coach or by your experiences as an athlete? And can can you see that um, in how you approach wintering with your athletes?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So, like, I mean, my First coach, Steve Rifkin, took me from four meters to 460. So I believed what he did was correct. So when I first started coaching uh, in 2013, I kind of replicated what he did because thought, right, that's worked for me. Let's do that. And I think a lot of coaches start out their journey replicating when they've come from being a decent level athlete, they replicate what they, um, they did. Um, and I soon deviated a little bit away from that, realizing that Um, not every athlete would be able to handle that and you can't make all the technical changes that I wanted to make when they were tired. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just, not everybody could handle that volume. And I either made some serious mistakes with some athletes and, um, unfortunately, as you start your coaching journey, you do make a lot of mistakes and hopefully you make less mistakes, (laughs) but, um, as you go on, um, and then, yeah, over the years, it's constantly changed. Um. And I'm, obviously you come up with new ideas, you come up with different ways of doing things. And um, for me, it's just finding that balance between, you know, I, I want the athletes that I coach to have a long career. So I believe that in an element of a base. Um, so I do think there's got to be some grind and some of that grind sometimes can um, make the, the the pole vaulting and the technical changes that we've set up harder. Um, but then at the same time, it's like finding what's relevant to actually being a pole vaulter and obviously like, there's a, there's a limit to how hard you can train and make physical and make, sorry, technical changes. So, um, yeah, it's constantly a balancing act. Like, um, this year I've played with some different ideas and they've worked really well. And I feel like this year has been one of the the best years so far. I mean, we're only in week eight, we've got another four weeks to go, but finding a good balance between making the technical changes, um, and still getting a bit of graft. Um, but yeah it's it's constantly evolving and then obviously the longer you work with an athlete the more you know about that athlete and it's going to be slightly different for every athlete um and at the moment one of the athletes I've worked with like the most has been Ellie McCartney um who came to me just post lockdown like um and just watching her and obviously the the physical prep has changed over the last few years but actually seen the results this year that she's become a lot physically better um is really interesting and it's taking less out of her. So that graft work where we still manage to make changes and improve, but maybe not as many technical changes, is now paying off now that she's just got a better level of base. So when she comes back to me this year in her third year or fourth year, I David long <laughs> but um then, you know, like we can put quite a lot of more specific work for her on top of that. Um so it's been quite exciting. And uh, yeah, following on what you said about that balance between technical
2: and actually working on physical attributes, one thing I noticed was um, watching that Untold stories Swamp Kings, I thought or something like that, with the Florida um, football team. And you got, there's a clip of Tim Tebow and a bunch of those other American football lads in the gym just pumping, like doing, I don't know, 50 reps on bicep curls and, you know, trying to get massive. And in the end, like you also mentioned the longevity factor is those players won the you know, they'll win all these games or they'll possibly win the season. But you look at those players the next season and they're all spent. It's like they were just trained for that one season. And then the rest yeah. was like, we'll see how they get on next season. But their bodies are total. They've had no rest. So, yeah, it's just it's just that hard balancing act. And I mean, now now you're coaching. Are there I mean, you, you just mentioned some points there really about like how the different considerations you've had in terms of like as you were an athlete and now being a coach, what you've had to understand yourself. Um what was the hardest part of wintering was it the mental side of things as well because I remember you mentioning that some of those athletes the younger ones wouldn't be able to cope as well as you did in a way
1: yeah um definitely the mental side is tough like the winter grind is usually roughly around 12 weeks Uh, it's 12 weeks generally without a competition without a you know, something to take you out of that grind. We don't tend to go warm weather training or anything like that in that 12 weeks. So, you know, it's the same four walls, week in, week out. Yes, we might microcycle and have recovery weeks and download weeks in that time, but um, it can be draining. And then like I've always said to the guys, like this time around that, that middle prep now that we're in is where like this, we're still making some, we're trying to make technical changes on longer runs, which is harder to do. And I'm just finishing off the last bit of the physical. So sometimes there's a little bit of a dip in quality, but like coming out of this, like hopefully some of the volume will drop in the next prep um, as we prep for the competition season. Mm. Um, And I I think that can get pretty pretty tough, tr- pretty mentally draining when you have a bit of a down like the girls specifically, like they are perfectionists. They want amazing sessions week in, week out. And I can see their pain when a pole vault session doesn't go hundred percent mm. or exactly the way that we had planned it. Um, and it's like just trying to teach them as well that, you know, this this one pole vault session doesn't define the winter training or it doesn't define the season if you know what I mean um and even having a little dip um mm. it's it's important to go through them and like you know we have them if you know what I mean it's what makes us stronger if you know what I mean if it all goes perfectly and if it was all easy everybody would do it if you know what I mean so the mental toughness side of it as well as the physical of actually feeling tired and turning up to training and doing everything that you can to make yourself feel good for those technical sessions and um, the sacrifices you make um yeah finding the balance between social life and and having a life outside of it like i i often talk about the different components in your life like if your education's going well your friendship groups might be going well family you know it's, there's always other things in your life that you have to make sure is happening around and it's not just pole vault focused like it is just pole vault <laughs> mm.
2: and just yeah. just sort of going on a broader scale did you notice any differences during those sort of winter months essentially as a coach and as an athlete from both perspectives like I remember in rugby I was like okay we're going into winter now we've got a bit of a break in the season Um, but leading up to it you sort of lower in the reps because you know it's going to be tougher the weather's going to be harder the the ground's going to be muddier so you're more prone to injuries we could see the load going down in the gym just to manage that I was wondering if you have you know either changed programming as a coach or experienced that change in programming as an athlete
1: yeah I mean as an athlete um it, yeah there was definitely like physical changes as well so like as you might be in a different phase you might be a little bit slower and heavier so like I used to be able to put on a bit of mass um in my winter training I remember going through that phase going oh, I feel heavy um but it was again just a phase like um that I had to go through. And like, I then learned to have like a winter training weight and a a, com- a competition weight. Um, and then yeah, constantly adapting, like run sessions that you like, if you do have to do them outside, if it's going to be cold and wet, you're not going to get the same out of it. Do you need to adapt that session actually and bring it inside? Or do you stick to the program? I think quite often as coaches, we get stuck stuck in, I've written the program you need to see it and the athletes are same if they've seen the program they need to tick every box on that program in order to get through I'm like actually guys I'm going to cut the session short today you look tired <laughs> I mean and they're like whoa if <laughs> you know what I mean they don't like it um and not before uh, the thousand meter reps though those gotta stay <laughs> <laughs> they, they are the most important <laughs> um So yeah, making judgment calls is really important. Like I can write a program on paper, but seeing it like map out, I have to be able to adapt to it. Um, And I've learned that a hell of a lot more as a coach. than I probably did as an athlete. Again, I was probably the same athlete as the ones I coach and I wanted to complete every part of the program. Otherwise, I felt like I was cheating in some way. Um, Whereas like learning to train smart rather than hard is the two different lessons to learn. Mm.
0: You mentioned there, like lots of t- lots of changes coming going into winter, and and or you know your pole vault then kind of takes a hit because you're working either on different aspects or you're just the buildup of fatigue because you're going hard in the gym. Um, yeah. And I was talking to some other some other coaches in, like in the endurance group who struggle, whose athletes sometimes can struggle with like kind of comparing themselves to where they were in the summer so if they think like
1: comparisons yeah yeah
0: like i i'm training to get better than i was in the summer but i'm worse mm. now than i was in the summer or things aren't going as well like how how do you deal with that um as as a coach to keep like to kind of get the in their minds that this isn't you know not being able yeah, to do the,
1: the biggest asset i can ever Sort of have as a coach now is I've been there if you know what I mean and like I can feel their pain I can feel their questions I can feel like why you know like as you say you're an athlete you constantly I used to compare myself well I could use this pole like eight weeks ago in competition and now I can't use it now in a in a heavy training block or I'm trying to make a technical change so I actually need to. I can't do it on that pole right now, which is a competition pole, which I'm coming in with a hundred miles an hour adrenaline, if you know what I mean. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just learning as an athlete and a coach that you have to accept where you are. And like, and if the numbers are constantly going down, then you're worrying, but they're stabilizing. That's fine. Like um, if you're making changes you know, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you have to be a bit more disciplined and stay a little bit longer on that shorter run-up while you still make life if the change isn't quite ingrained. And it's it's different, obviously, coaching different levels of athletes because, like, um, some athletes, it's just about a process to get them from A to B, whereas um, that process, definitely more with elite athletes, is not such a straight line.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just so interesting because uh, like the athletics, the more I'm getting into athletics, the the crazier it is. And that mm-hmm. off season is so short. Like you said, 12 weeks, but you got Christmas at the end of that. And that's 12 weeks if you only take, you know, two weeks off. And then you got the indoor season and then that kind of weird in between indoor and outdoor. Like if, if we talked about that section where you have kind of what between – Three and six weeks is it between kind of indoor and outdoor? What, what,
1: yeah, I mean, that section is like you don't need to go as deep, I don't think, if you know what I mean. You need to kind of just top up, especially with the girls. Girls can learn, they could um lose a little bit more strength than the lads if you know what i mean in the competition season the lucky thing for the competition season indoors it's again only about six weeks normally six to, six to eight weeks maximum um so you know if you've programmed right you should easily see yourself through that by and being able to um back off a little bit physically during that time but then yeah it's a bit of a top-up season Um obviously the winter summer season can be very very long mm. if you know what i mean and so like the the better level athlete you are, the later you're probably open. And so like, you know, the, depending on the calendar, but normally like the major championships is, you know, either end of July, beginning of August, sometimes even late August. So you're going to plan your season around that. So that will then determine how long your spring prep is. But, you know, I like to get a nine week physical block in. So three, three week blocks. Mm. So we kind of do, uh, four week blocks in the winter and three week blocks in the summer, and you know they're going to get become general prep to specific prep to more specific prep, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, you're right that that time is short, but I just feel like with that one, quite often we go warm weather training. You know, it's broken up. Like as you say, that twelve weeks of winter training is short, but there's nothing else in it. <laughs> train, train, train. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like again, the more serious you take it, like we would, I used to go home for two days at Christmas. Mm um and then i'd be back in on boxing day or the day after 27th i I was nuts me and steve lewis we were both he was from stoke i was a bit further north and we used to travel home the same day and be back two or three days later petrified obviously we had an amazing setup in loughborough if you know what i mean and i was i'd take christmas day off if you want The amount of athletes that train on christmas day i trained on christmas day (laughs) why (laughs) go spend it with your families (laughs) um but because the indoor season was looming, right. if you know what I mean, yeah. and we'd quite often start. Um, and I, I believe in taking like if you take a week off now, it's it, like not even you can do some basic training in that week. I think it's good for the mind. Mm. You actually get to switch off for more than two days, and maybe that's where I went wrong sometimes. Mm. But um, not learning to switch off. But and how yeah.
0: how do you so like goal setting is obviously really important, and there like you have different goals for different areas of either training or the season. How do you balance? Well, f- first of all, how do you come and deal with different athletes who are coming from different seasons? Some are coming, you know, from terrible seasons and are really low motivated. Some are coming from unreal seasons or coming kind of off of a season high. How do you how do you balance that and then go these are our short-term goals into the winter and then these are our long-term goals for the season? Um and for one not getting carried away with it with you know someone who's had an amazing season and the other side like someone who's dreading twelve weeks of training because their season's just been trash.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. And again, like I've only been full time for like this is my second year in it full time, and I feel like I'm doing a better job this year. First year, I think I spent too much time watching sessions that I didn't need to watch whereas now I'm spending a lot more time planning so you know I try and do a review with every athlete um at the end of the season um where we sit down and make all those goals but now this year I've been doing a better job of actually checking in with the athletes at least monthly, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, which is something I think we forget to do sometimes. Like you sit down, you do this big review, what went well, what didn't, how are we going to get to the next steps? You plan it all out and you look at it in a year's time. <laughs> Did we do it? It was a bit late. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> or sometimes I do a bit of a review after indoor season when we plan for the summer, but again, too late. So I'm trying to do a better review of actually, you know, um, sitting down with the athletes, um, you know how are we doing are we on track for where we want to be um as you say are there little goals that we need to hit some athletes like goals some athletes don't um athletes that sometimes the athletes that haven't had a good season are the ones that are most motivated if you know what I mean because it's gone wrong so like the job's done I don't need to be their motivator they are so driven that year it's the ones that like if you've had an amazing season you've got to pick yourself back up and do it all again that's the tough one and mm. um, because you then got to try and move on again are you moving on or are you consolidating um what is the next goal like and as I say the higher you get the the smaller the percentages to like their peak, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. And the more finer details um, need to be addressed. And like, yeah, it, it becomes more and more intense. Like there's nothing better, nothing better. But like, I remember as an athlete, the year after injury, the pressure's off, if you know what I mean. I've had, I've been injured. Like I remember having surgery. And so I had surgery in 2008. Mm-hmm. And then as you said, 2009 was my year mm-hmm. and the pressure was off. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I was flying, like, I part of it my coach gave me a kick up the bum and said what the hell are you playing at (laughs) you've had a year full of injuries and you're still jumping well why like you could do so much more you know what I mean but the other side of it is you know I've been injured I've had it taken away from me I had so much drive to get it back and not piss about so much so
2: do you so would you say this might be a long shot but so would you say that injury was um not a blessing in disguise but do you think it just helped you realize that look I'm I can actually take it with both hands and go as far as I want with it.
1: Yeah. Every athlete is going to get injured at some point. Unfortunately, if you're going to try and compete at an elite level, there's a risk of injury and we... You know, we're not psychic. We can't always, you can do all the screening in the world, but, and we can try and put all the things in place to avoid injuries, but you're going to get some niggles. Some of them are bigger. Some of them aren't, um, you know, the, the better you are or the closer you are to your peak, the the smaller the margins are. So you're pushing yourself to get to that peak. Um, and yes, from every injury, I completely believe you can learn something, and athletes become better athletes after they've had a big better injury. Sorry, a big injury. You know, they take care of themselves. They don't. They don't skip the rehab. They don't skip the prehab. They don't skip the cooldowns. You know, they're constantly looking after themselves. They don't want that again, so they become more disciplined athletes after that.
2: I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a Formula One car. All these cars have spent five million you know, dollars on these cars this whole time. And then they're running at a hundred percent output and everyone wonders, Oh, why do they break down if they're, you know, they spent all this money or all, all this time making the <laughs> car and it's obviously because you're running it max the whole time. Um, it's going to, one part's going to break down. Mm. So yeah, if you're willing to compete and get to that next level, you, you might have to deal with some uh, hardship. You can't just run hundred percent full year round there. Eh? Um, and then another bit was like, yeah, yeah just long term because obviously in an olympics cycle you've got four years which means you've got four sort of off seasons or like a couple weeks where you can do it did that planning change like did you notice that your coach steven planned on a four-year cycle sometimes so you'd have like use those each wintering parts as a goal setting like little goals then and there was like a big goal in those four years and how did you plan over that sort of macro schedule
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like being British is like a blessing and a curse. The blessing is we've always got a goal because we've either got Commonwealth, Europeans, Worlds or Olympics. And like the four year cycle of Olympics every other year. So like if Olympics is at 08, then we'd have Worlds 2007, 9, 11, if you know what I mean. Um, and then the other thing with us is we then would have Europeans and Commonwealths. There used to be Europeans every four years and then they switched every two. So even in if you're not going to make it to the Olympics, you've got Europeans the same year now. Um And so there was always a big goal. Um, And sometimes, I mean, the problem with Commonwealth as well is, you know, it's opportunity for world. I I was at best a world finalist. I wasn't a world medalist. I wasn't an Olympic medalist. Uh, My peak was making finals, if you know what I mean, which then Commonwealths and Europeans gave me a chance to try and shoot for medals. So they became just as important as the world's in the Olympics on the global scene. So it was just a year by year. You do find, obviously, athletes, when they retire, quite often there's a big drop-off after Olympics because you kind of you go to the Olympics and then, like, you might retire. But if you don't, you do another world. And then it's like, oh, but there's Europeans next year. Oh, but there's this. And so there's a four-year cycle of when athletes actually stop, I think. Um, there's not many that, unless they're forced out with injury, that seem to stop if, two, if the Olympics is two years out and that's their goal. But... Yeah, but obviously, if you're um, American, you don't do Commonwealths. Obviously, if you're Canadian, you don't do Europeans. If you know what I mean, like um, we do it all. And but I think that makes it tough because they, you don't often get an opportunity to just have a year of fun and. Then not be a big major to go through. Whereas, like like, I remember, Christian Taylor's like Olympic um, triple jump champion, world champion. This far off the Jonathan Edwards world record, but like in the year where he didn't have to do like uh, worlds or Olympics, he used to go run four hundreds. He's bloody good at that as well. He ran forty five oh, which is nuts. But like he just he he was that talented. But I'm just saying, he did another event for half the year. He still triple jumped a bit, but there was no big goal, so he had that as you said that four year planning cycle. Rather than a um, where you could have a download year, if you know what I mean, um, which I think can be, and again, like you have the pressures of funding as well. Like if we don't perform every year, if you are on funding, you, you're off. I mean, it's different now, and you might get two years or whatever. But the pressures to like the higher up you go, the more pressures you go. If you've got your Nike contract, you have to deliver for them. If you know what I mean, if you've got uh, funding, you've got to deliver for them, and like the whole mindset can change for like pressures to deliver rather than trying to jump as high as you can, (laughs) for you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so I
2: guess, would would it be a sort of detriment then, having all those, so do you think those like, the the Americans have a benefit, um, not having to perform at all these different competitions now that the Euros are two instead of four years, um, do you see that as, yeah, more more than a, a curse and a benefit, or...?
1: I think it's a benefit for them. Um, like it was interesting, obviously, with all the COVID and then all the championships got skew-whiffed and then all of a sudden, as a Brit, you had Europeans, Commonwealths and Worlds in a year and everyone was like, oh, which ones are you doing? And then a bunch went for all three and still performed. It was absolutely crazy. I don't know what at what cost the following year, <laughs> if you know what I mean, but they managed to get through it. Quite often you had someone who went to the Worlds, flopped and then came out of the Europeans and performed. So... Um, but yeah, as you said, um, the Americans only had one Jeez. that year and they could just target it. I mean it's kind of shit or bust
2: but I guess I guess yeah. as an S and C coach, um you see it as a point of like they just you just have to make sure they peak at that one point you know, at the right to wear out for you, you probably have to peak at so many different points. So it's hard to have like a macro goal because you have to, it's, it, it fluctuates a lot between competitions, yeah. depending on how you perform at those competitions. Then.
1: Yeah. And I remember in 2010, was another solid year for me. Um, and I'd finished sixth at the Europeans, which was the big goal, but Commonwealth again can be at different times. And the Commonwealth were in October. October is obviously normally like um, you're in week, week two or three, if you know what I mean, of training. You've had, like, three weeks off, four weeks off or whatever. So, like, I think I finished the whole season, took, like, a week off and then got back into a bit of early season. Anyway, it didn't quite pan out. I was – I flunked. Like, I got my bronze medal there, but I should have won it. Mm. Um, And it was just – we couldn't quite get it right. Um, And I don't know how many athletes did get it right. Quite often, the athletes that didn't perform so well at Europeans then did better at commies, you know. So, planning – can be crazy normally i'd say you know you plan for your majors if you're under 23 level it's probably in july that's where you're going to try and peak normally for the seniors it's august and we kind of got to have that double peak because you've got to make the team but again we're not americans so the blessing is americans have to try and make the team at the end of june and then perform again um in august or whatever it is whereas generally and other than the distance and some of the sprint events we've not got more than three per event so yeah.
0: So, so me mentioning the the third place in the commonwealth right off the top—that was a <laughs> that, she, We almost lost her right at the beginning, thirty seconds in. <laughs> I'm out of here.
2: Don't need that.
1: Yeah, no, that was a, it was a. I mean, I was grateful for the medal. Like I nearly completely flunked it. Luckily, <laughs> someone else flunked it as well. So uh, <laughs> we sat on the program podium, crying together. But no, it wasn't quite that bad. Where, where it was, was
0: it? Where was it that it was in October?
1: Delhi. Oh. yeah so everyone had their deli belly as well
2: i was gonna say the food must have been amazing help
1: <laughs> it was an interesting commies yeah um
0: so i i guess like planning you'd mentioned that you've changed the last two years now being full-time coach of uh, you notice that um you're it's less being at sessions that maybe you don't need to be at and more checking on that in on athletes and i was wondering when it comes to like managing athletes over the course of a winter training that have different needs or different goals. Um, is that a way that you find helps you manage those is is more check-ins or how do you, how do you manage that with 12 yeah, athletes?
1: Probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges. And I think one of your questions when I read it was what are the biggest challenges you have? And, and that is, it is, um, managing that managing different athletes obviously like I have a key group if you know what I mean and everybody works well together um but yeah I think checking in is the big thing but writing programs like you know even just having boys and girls they're just two different specimens (laughs) like like they're two, two different species um like they they want different things they need different things obviously I am quite tuned into the psyche of female athletes and I get the emotional side of it I get I get their thoughts their feelings it's just natural and obviously as a coach um I first started coaching guys straight away um when I first started coaching and, and I didn't maybe I just didn't take it as seriously then but I don't remember having some of the challenges I have now with a group of boys and you know they they are motivated by different things they're very number driven they're very this driven um, and so it's sort of still learning to tap into their psyche um, and what makes them tick and finding a good balance. Like they need a, a, a sort of high, upbeat training group, whereas some of the girls like, you know, Tilly can just grind it out. She wants to be part of a group, but she can still grind it out like on her own, if you know what I mean. Mm. Some of them have a better, some of the girls are better at that and just getting on with it. And, mm. you know, they've got their goal in their head. Um but yes, it, I think checking in is the most important. Me checking in on their goals, tinkering programs so that like, and every athlete has like a niggle, if you know what I mean. They have their little Achilles heel, whether it's, a I don't know, Achilles, whether it's shins, whether it's calves, whether it's hip, back, mm. foot, if you know what I mean. And then you're like, rather than write 12 different programs, you try and put little bits for each of the athletes in those programs so that it's there. I mean, generally you're then covering all bases because they've all got different issues. But, um, but then, yeah. And again, some, you know, I I write a completely different week map for the lads. Um, This year I've taken on Sophie Cook as well, um, who again is, she's 29 Hmm. I think she'll shoot me if she's 28 but um she's 29 so it's again writing programs for different ages Mm -hmm. as well um so most of the work i've done in the past is you know athletes from 18 to 25 if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and so yeah taking on athletes that are further in their career like the the details again Mm -hmm. it definitely becomes less about physical um and more about the small changes um you can't yeah you can't reintroduce too much physical with an older athlete
0: yeah our old twenty nine year old knees can't take it anymore <laughs> <laughs> so it's brutal
1: <laughs> brutal <laughs> yeah
0: would you say um just as as like a developing coach uh is would you say that is kind of the biggest thing that you w- want to improve as or improve on as a coach is is your ability to kind of understand the needs and manage the needs of your athletes. Or what would you say is your your kind of the biggest thing that you would want to?
1: Yeah, I think it's both. I think it that is one of them. Um I think it's yeah, learning learning to manage their needs, learning, you know, you you're in many different roles as a coach, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um so that um and then also just like just never stop learning. I think I was I've obviously been very blessed that I've in my coaching career over the last few years, I've had Scott Simpson on my doorstep, who I rate as one of the best pole vault coaches in the world. Um, And so quite often, whenever I've needed something, I've just gone there. And so I think part of me is to like broaden my knowledge as well in terms of, Um, there's lots of different ways of doing it, learning to filter out what I don't need to listen to. Mm. Um, I quite often take too much on and you think too many ideas and are all great and sticking to my own path. If you know what I mean? Like if you do take on too much, so it's, it's keeping eyes and ears open, filtering lots, um, checking in with athletes Learning to adapt to different needs. I'm still, yeah, as you say, developing coach. Got lots to learn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get you on in like three years when we're super big time. Yeah, and oh, uh, yeah. see see how that goes. <laughs>
1: exactly it'll be it'll be different I mean I did I remember doing a pod this time last year and I was sort of on cloud nine I'd had a fantastic year with Ellie and Owen and not saying I thought I knew it all but I was like yeah I have got this and then it's like another year in you're like I've got so much more to learn
2: (laughs) yeah and then just on like one of the last bits I was just wondering how you use nutrition and sports science in your training and how as you said like there was times during winter when um, there was like a weight gain um and then how like nutritionally that changed or any considerations you had to alter your nutrition for that time period
1: yeah I mean as an athlete on funding I had access to nutrition and a lot of support around that um if I'm completely honest I've I used I listened to what I could listen to and found my own way um but I suppose it was great having the support you know we had skin folds done that could keep like so if I was gaining weight I knew that it wasn't just I wasn't just eating rubbish if you know what I mean I was gaining muscle mass so it was good to have um that information and be like okay just accept you you're going to train a bit heavier now because you're carrying extra muscle but you know and then being able to monitor that throughout the summer and you know if I got lighter or you know and also finding the balance of becoming too light if you know what I mean like at the end of the day mass moves mass and um I was a very light petite petite vaulter in that sense of things and if you got too small um you know the risk of injury then if you know what I mean so um it was great having that to monitor like we got we got a lot of um support with speed data probably more so more so in competition back in the day as an athlete like now I feel like everything's on our doorstep like I can test speed myself with the guys to truth from gates if you know what I mean like I don't have to rely on other people to constantly get data Um being in a university setup like the university athletes have access to everything like obviously world class athletes do as well but just on their doorstep like um you want to get numbers for uh, CMJs, yep, cool, book it in, if you know what I mean. You want to get reactivity, uh, drop jumps, yep, book it in. And obviously I don't get that for everybody, but there's a lot around me. And I've still been learning to like absorb that data. Like I think it was almost put on me um a year or two ago and I didn't really understand the data because I didn't have the data as an athlete. So it's sort of learning to understand the data, digest it, what is it for? Um, how relevant is it? Like I think, you know, data can drop and athletes read a lot into that as well. Um, and it could just mean you're tired that day, <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And if you're only gonna test four times a year and one of them drops and like ah oh, like really? everybody's shouting and screaming. So um yeah, I think as long as there's um the curve's going upwards. Mm. I don't really mind what it says. And it's maybe protecting athletes from a little bit of data as well and not too much because I think uh, Scott always tells me it's measuring, it's not testing, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's just where are we, if yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. are we making too many mistakes or... Mm. Yeah.
0: that that leads into what i was going to ask of just like sports science in general because like you said there's especially at leftburn if you're on world class or you have a lot of things at your doorstep that you can use and you're you you as a coach you write your snc programs for your athletes and there's snc coaches as well and um yep. nutritionists, uh, me uh <clears throat> always asking you for athletes <laughs> and <laughs> to, to do my studies um uh and i guess like As sports scientists, we like to, we love our numbers and sometimes we don't do a very good job of, of, uh, speaking to coaches or building that relationship or understanding how, how they can help us and how we can maybe help them. As sports scientists, as Matt and I, like, what would you, what would you say as a coach helps? Like, how, how can we better support coaches by, you know, how we, um, I guess, how we bring our data or how we bring our questions or our asks to coaches?
1: Yeah, um, good question. I suppose it's like, I mean, obviously when you get base data, there's not a lot you can do with it, can you? It's the first time you're gathering data. All you can do is report it. Um, I think quite often... I was probably, everyone I think probably assumed I knew what it was. Um, And maybe I was too afraid to ask. This was a couple of years ago. Um, And I thought, you know, as a developing coach, I should know everybody's getting data, if you know what I mean. So maybe it's the element of um, like not presuming, if you know what I mean. So like talking through what it means, like, again, obviously, if you It's it's a conversation, and obviously I know not everybody has time, and this is sometimes why I sometimes get frustrated. Is I'm a people person, so I like to get to know the person who's collecting the data, and then we can constantly bounce ideas off each other, and it's and it's an open dialogue. And I think often everybody's busy. Like that's the downfall of Love Brothers. They look after so many people, so you get your data here. It is green, red, or blue. (laughs) I mean green, red, or orange, or whatever. Um, And uh, yeah, and and then yeah you need to be more explosive or you need to be this this and this and I think like well okay let's have the conversation so this is base date data if you know what I mean um the athletes have done nothing for two weeks so is this okay actually like this is a I've only got one of the data point from May last year this is a little bit lower what do you think or hmm. you know is, uh, is that looking actually there's a massive imbalance there like actually just being able to talk through it I think Rather than just seeing and reading and digesting mm. it, because again, you guys are so busy, lots of people to give the data to, but we're so busy like reading through everybody's data. You know, I collected mm. data from England Athletics this this weekend, and it was great data, but I haven't had chance to scrutinise everybody, if you know what I mean, um, and see if there's any anomalies, if you know what I mean, and just saying like, oh, there's a little alarm bell there, if you know what I mean, mm. and actually, then there's a big imbalance between left and right, that kind of thing um so, so I th- i'd say that's
0: it it's more like that that conversation i think as as like academics we can be very bad at at just like being in our own head and just spitting stuff out and not yeah. you know because we're like oh yeah everyone knows us boom you know and just yeah. like, and we you know <laughs> we've been staring at it for months and months so for us it's just second nature but like you said yeah. like yeah we're busy but also you know if we to if we want to generate those relationships long term taking that like the time to make sure that they understand it or or like. and,
1: and that's it for us it's the long term and I get so frustrated in athletics is the turnover mm. like when I first started and I started working at S&C, I think it was Nathan bought up, up a massive rapport with him and then like he got promoted yeah <laughs> so it's like and then it was somebody else and then you're trying to learn to do like connect with someone else and they they're learning their job and I think quite often when people come into our field of athletics it's like oh my goodness, this isn't one sport. This is like 16 sports in one. You know what I mean? They all want different stuff. They all do it differently. Every coach doesn't talk to another coach. Like, you know, there's three, four different jumps coaches in in Loughborough, if you know what I mean. We don't all connect, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And then you guys are just dealing with us separately and athletics is a minefield in itself, if you know what I mean. As you say, like endurance is so far away from jumps. Jumps is so far away from, you know, throws, if you know what I mean. So, Mm. yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah no it is I it's insane like because I don't come from an athletics background and getting into it over the last year it's just how do you do it like forget about forget about just your athletes then it's like you said different coaches in the same event and then and then you know but and then endurance has how many events in it it's it's yeah. insane yeah
1: it is insane
0: yeah well we we really really appreciate you coming on um yeah, this this has been awesome we have one more thing with matt which is quick fire questions which we always oh, do God,
1: no. so
0: they can they, they matt loves throwing curve balls i wish it, oh, it's so but it's fun it's fun and i'm just glad it's not me because <laughs> you really hit to me <laughs> taking the questions. No, but, okay. But yeah, this is the last thing. But but before we do that, we just really wanted to thank you for your time. Yeah, thank it's been you. unbelievable. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: it's been great. Matt, take it away.
2: Uh, um, yeah, as David said, these are just some quickfire ones, but I remember last time just throwing in some deep, deep uh, questions as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what will come up. Oh, but um,
1: I'm so nervous <laughs> right now. <my> <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> um, did,
2: did you have any nicknames? Or do you have any nicknames?
1: Oh, I was Denno. Denno. I was Deno, which is so weird cuz like I've been in love for so long some people still call me Deno, so Scott uh-huh. will still call me Deno from being Kate Dennison yeah. and then like yeah. my athletes only know me as Kate Rooney and they're like what? <laughs> so yeah
2: There <laughs> you go what's the main or one thing you missed from when you were competing
1: just the adrenaline and the buzz um I don't miss it as in like I don't want to ever I don't miss competing I I probably live a lot through my athletes at the (laughs) moment but um yeah just just that adrenaline that challenge that nerves like I can't believe I miss nerves if you know what I mean Mm. so yeah
2: um what item is worth spending money on
1: don't talk to me about that I have a a trainer (laughs) fetish but I, I buy junior trainers. So in girl maths, I never spend more than fifty I've pounds. That. Your okay, trainers, that.
0: to be fair, are are on. Point. I told. Yeah. I was. I was speaking to Tilly yesterday. Like the other day, I was like, "Do you see? Do you see Kate's trainers?" <laughs> I actually think they're the ones that you're wearing this morning, like the Nike. Yeah, the Nike I, ones.
1: I love them, and but I I buy the junior range, so um, I got small count. feet, Not which fair. means that I can buy three when instead of one. Uh-huh. So yeah. come with see, six I'm, boxes. you like
2: Black Friday junior. <laughs> I have got that a lot. um
1: Basically, when it's my one, son's finally my fair. size f- feet, <laughs> he's on he's on point
2: yeah. Um Uh-oh. sum up being an athlete in a sentence or a word.
1: Oh my goodness. Um being an athlete
0: This is why we got uh, to leave 5 minutes for quick
1: fire questions. Yeah, <laughs> this is tough. I think they're all a little bit crazy um, they're All a little bit crazy a little bit cuckoo best athletes are usually a little bit crazy oh <laughs> and then that's funny <laughs>
2: how did you cope through the tough times like any advice or just like how did you cope through those tough times during athletics
1: I don't know if I did. No, <laughs> um, I think I think it's about balance. And I, I've always said this. Like I think the one thing that got me through when I was going tough in athletics, you know, like either my relationship might be going well, or you know, I've got something else going on other than athletics. It's not to be. Um, so focused like have family around you have friends around you you know have people outside of sport that you can turn to or like don't really get it <laughs> mm. so like they're like why are you so upset you had a bad day <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean they don't they don't get it and they bring you back down so yeah I mm. still have that now when I like it's, it's it's been a bit of a rubbish week at the track or whatever or a rubbish day and everyone's flopped a bit because they're tired and then you just go meet your mates and they're like
2: yeah. <laughs> that's all good yeah it just helps you um bring any bring everything back to perspective because yeah I'll say like I remember exactly. losing um like it was a pretty important rugby game I wasn't playing but as a as a coach just seeing the boys lose and I was gutted went out with my friends who who've been in London you know business the whole time um at like a normal job and yeah I was just like gutted and they were like and I swear you got a game next week I was like yeah that is true and then it's like true fair enough and then
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i think i try and have this physical thing that like i it's easier in the winter but i get to the track i try and hang my coat up and leave family life at home and then like when i leave the track you know you you hang your coat up again and you try and shut the door on the the Mm. track as well so try not to bring it all home with you that's very good
0: that's really good what what a great little quote to end off. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's incredible. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Kate, we really, really appreciate uh, appreciate your time again. And and if it, if we ever get around to it, we'll have to get mad up and you'll have to see if we can get, get
2: over it. I can't wait. I need to
1: get the two of you pole vault in. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. I don't think you've got Pumult, <laughs> yeah. so we'll
2: handle what I'm going to bring. <laughs> I'm going to be... I'm sure, I'm sure we
0: have. We'll go grab a pool noodle. I'm we'll going to uh, grab a pool
2: yeah. noodle. I'm just going to be perfectly out. balanced, stuck on the top like this. Guys, just perfectly aligned.
1: Help <laughs> <That laughs> yeah. me. Just full, just full. No, I can't I, wait. The opposite no. way. I can't wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> track landing. Uh,
0: thanks, Brilliant. Kate. Have a great Brilliant. rest of much. your evening.
1: Thank you very much, Cheers. guys.
2: Bye bye.